Hey, you awesome folks. Thanks for taking this journey of discovery with your guide, Keith Haney. You're listening to the Becoming Bridge Builders podcast, your favorite podcast for everything from racial reconciliation to education innovation, justice reform, and leading change in the 21st century. This podcast is for people who love to be challenged with difficult topics, but want practical solutions to solve these challenging issues. Becoming Bridge Builders makes change possible. Each week on the podcast, Keith invites innovative thought leaders to share how they are building bridges in their area of expertise. You will hear breakthrough ideas and concepts that are changing the world. He's featuring guests who are best-selling authors, leaders at Microsoft, entrepreneurs, leading educators, professors, lawyers, and so many more. Listen in to learn how you can be the bridge to the change you are seeking. My guest today is Miriam Cobb, founder and director of Empty Frames Initiative, a nonprofit dedicated to empowering orphaned and vulnerable youth as a transition out of state care. Miriam, in this role, advocates for young exiting youth exiting care, compiles new and successful resources for this population, and develops programs, curricula to meet international need. We welcome Miriam to the show. Well, it's great to have you on, Miriam. I'm glad you could come on the show. Excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Good. We're going to talk about a really important topic today, foster care. So I'm looking forward to having something to add to my audience's plethora of experiences we've been talking about on a podcast. So it's good to have you. Yeah, excited to be here. <laughs> so I'm going to give you an easy question. So what's the best advice you've ever received? Mm, I think... That might be a little bit harder than you think. I've been um, really fortunate to be surrounded by people who have poured in a lot of great advice. Um, but I think the one that comes to mind the most was really simple. And it was just from my mom. And I think it was to help quiet my inner critic. And it was just the advice, you're not supposed to know everything. <laughs> and I find that to be a huge relief. That is good. I like that. It does kind of release you from the habit of the know-it-all thing as well. So. Yeah. <laughs> so tell us something about yourself that most people don't know. Most people don't know. Um, I really enjoy traveling. And um, I've been able to go to a few places that are a little bit less common. I've been to um, China and Russia and Latvia. And those have been really cool, unique experiences. Of those places, which one do you... It resonated with you the most or was the most interesting for you? Um, I think of those, it would probably be China. And I think it was because it was one of those places that I'd always wanted to go to. And then I wanted to know which of these things are just in movies, which thing is true. And I got there and it was just such a fun experience getting to see all of those things that I'd always kind of dreamt about being there and actually getting to see it, like the Great Wall of China and, and stuff like that. It was It was very cool. That's neat. So we're going to talk about foster care today because I think it's an important topic. And I think for people who don't know much much about it, because most of us have very little experience with the foster care system, how do kids usually end up in the system in the first place? Yeah, so the most common reason, according to the AFCARS report, is neglect. This is cited in 64% of the incoming reports, um, followed by drug abuse of the parent at 35%. So that's a pretty big 
um, jump. And there can there's normally like some overlap. It's not just one thing normally that's going to be neglect and drug abuse or neglect and physical abuse. Um, there's there's normally multiple reasons that they'll enter the system. And of those reasons, what do you think, um, how long are kids really in the system for usually? That's a really good question. It's also a little bit difficult to answer um, because the way that the reports are compiled every year. So they do this one annual report and it'll come out in September and it takes it from all the different states. And the states are supposed to report back how long the kids in their care have been in care. Um, and so the majority, just 20%, so out of out of all the kids, 20% have only been in care between 6 and 11 months. But you have to keep in mind that there's legislation in place that makes it to where kids aren't supposed to be in foster care past a certain point. So it's like a year or a year and a half. They're supposed to find permanency, whether that be um, parental rights are terminated or um, they are reunified with their parents. But it doesn't a year and a half is a hard amount of time for someone who's dealing with some of these really intense issues. And so sometimes um, people will kind of reset the clock by reunifying briefly and then putting the child back in care. Um, when we look at the full report, the full AFGARS report, um, the most common is six to 11 months um, and, le- and about 42 percent have spent under 11 months in care. And then close to 59 percent have spent some time over 12 months. For the youth that I see at Empty Frames Initiative, um, it's closer to the high end. About 6% of the youth in care will have spent over five years of their life in care before transitioning out. So, well, about 6% of them have spent over five years in care. And those are the ones we typically see when we work with youth who are aging out. Wow. You mentioned permanent um, transfer. What does that look like? And what does that mean for those who don't know what those terms mean? Yeah. So. When a child is entered into foster care, it's because the state has decided that their parents or guardians aren't capable of caring for them at this period of time. And they are trying to get the parents equipped to be reunified with their children. Like that's the goal textbook wise. (laughs) Um, And when they reach a certain point where either the parent isn't continuing to work their plan or the state decides that the abuse was too much, the parental rights can be terminated, which means that that child is no longer legally connected to that adult. This doesn't change the the bonding or the blood connection, and the state will still normally try to find someone from that child's family tree, Um, but their parental rights, the right they have to that child to be their parent is severed. Um, Reunified means that after a certain period of time, the state said you have to meet these goals to be reunified with your child, and then we will place them back with you. And when parents um, are given the right amount of support and are able to work that plan, their child is supposed to be returned to them. So what what does that, that plan look like typically for a parent just trying to do the things that, I know it's depending upon, of course, their situation, yeah. but what are some typical things parents have to do to get their kids back? That's a great question. Um, I'm not a social worker, but when we talk about um, neglect, I, I went ahead and pulled over the definition just so we could talk about it. It's alleged or substantiated negligent treatment or maltreatment, including failure to provide adequate food, clothing, shelter, or care, and includes failure to provide adequate supervision, right? So if um, someone was told that their child is taken away because of neglect, 
in theory, the social worker would come alongside them. They would give them a checklist of parenting classes in the area that they're supposed to attend. Um, they would tell them how much they need to actually be off of work to be home for their child or what the adequate supervision needs to look like. Um, sometimes they will put the parents back in with the grandparents to be like, hey, you need some stability. This is the only way we're really going to be comfortable is if we know that um, the grandma or the grandpa is going to be here to make sure that the kids have um, what they need. And so it, it can look really different depending on the case. But in theory, it'll be some type of sta state mandated course or class that they follow along. If it's the you know second highest thing, drug abuse, they'll probably have them go through a drug treatment program. Um, but if you talk to, to caseworkers, all of these things um, sometimes feel like hoops when it's like finish this class. But the reason that they didn't have adequate supervision was because the mom wasn't able to get enough time off of work, right? Sure. So how is she going to get the same amount of time off of work to go finish that class? So really, this is a place where um, it's it's really obvious that community is what's really missing for a lot of these parents rather than um, well, government, so, sometimes yeah, they, government they, intervention. They yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes they sometimes they aren't equipped to be a parent. But a lot of times if there were community support systems in place, like their church community, like their family, if they hadn't themselves been um, in need of foster care, maybe we do see multiple generations in foster care. Um, then if they had those community safety nets, then they might not even need to be involved in the foster care system. So tell me about Empty Frames Initiative. What do you guys do? Yeah, we work with young adults who are transitioning out of state care. We look to empower them with training and life skills, counseling, community, and access to the gospel. We're currently working towards getting our first facility where we can have a short-term residential program um, for youth ages 18 to 24 to kind of help them as they're leaving foster care and trying to decide what they want their next path to be. And we're, we're raising money for that to help create a safety net for them and for their future families. So you said 18 and 24. So what age do kids typically age out of foster care? Great question. We got um, legally they're adults at 18. So most states allow them to leave the like all states allow them to leave the system at 18. Um, if they're fortunate, their state has an extended program to age 21 that they can opt into. But a lot of times, like I said, they fit in care for a long time and they're like, I don't want anything to do with the state anymore. And they'll choose to leave at 18 on their own. So. And as an 18-year-old leaving foster care, what happens to those kids? There's a lot of things <laughs> that happen. <laughs> it's it's hard because there's a lot of support available to them, but a lot of times they don't know how to access it. Um, they seen a lot of caseworkers, and at a certain point, a caseworker is supposed to be like, hey, we're heading towards that 18 number. We need to start preparing you for college. We need to start preparing you for the next step of housing. But a lot of them don't get that support. And so we see a lot of um, intersection with homelessness and um, low graduation rates and uh, unsupported pregnancies, uh, substance abuse, and unfortunately, human trafficking. So you mentioned your group kind of helps those kids that are transitioning out. What do you? What kind of programs? We talked about a little bit, but kind of in depth. What do you offer 
to those kids that have aged out of foster care? Yeah, what we're looking to do is create community for them. We're looking to create a place where they can come home to during the holidays and a place where they can um, come and get the support that they need when they are ready to receive it. So up until this point, we've really done smaller programs. We've partnered with people to provide like gifts for social workers and um, small trainings. We did a the one part of our program that's really unique to us is uh, storytelling through photography. And it's a um, photography based literacy program. So they get to kind of process through their stories as a group and um, using photographs and the written word, they get to tell their stories the way they want it to be told. Um, and we created a book called The Story of Foster Care. And this has all been kind of leading up to our short term residential facility. And this is going to be a place where um, in small groups, about four to five young adults at a time, they get to go and get really intentional discipleship and connected with the community that's in place already so that they know, hey, there are people who are going to be there for me if this NETS plan doesn't work out. But I know that I have a support system so I can go pursue that, whether that be college or a job. Um, someone was like, what about the military? I'm like, sure. If that's what they want to do, that's something that we would support still, too. Um, and while they're with us, they would get training in life skills. And it can be really basic um, things that back when I was like saying you're not supposed to know everything. The truth is you only know what people pass on to you. And um, so people are kind of surprised when sometimes young adults in foster care don't know how to count money. Like you have to learn. So it could be something that basic. It could be following a recipe or it could be applying for a job and all of this just working towards them being able to pursue their next steps. So you mentioned a lot of basic things that you would normally get just growing up in a family. So if you're in foster care, I'm assuming that you don't have that necessarily support that you would get in a typical family. And so you guys are providing what's missing or lacking from the foster care system to those kids. So how can people come alongside and, and volunteer? What kind of support does your organization need to pull this off? Yeah. Um, so I will say just real quick that there are really excellent foster parents and some that are more equipped than others to take care of teens. And teens also see a lot of transition while they're in care. So they might be in someone's house for several months and then need to be moved for whatever reason. And that person didn't realize during their time there that they didn't know how to do some of these basic things. I think there are a lot of really well-intentioned people, just as much as there are people who have bad intentions. Like, I just want to put that little asterisk there. For that's greatly to... appreciated. Probably. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and so it's like, that's something that's on your heart right away that you're like, I'd like to help people before they turn 18. That's something that we want to equip people to do. You know, if you feel like you're really called to be a foster parent to these teens to help them get some of these life skills and family that they're missing, um, there's always room for that. And you can every state has its own um, classes and programs to equip you for that. Um, as far as our organization goes, um, we are about to launch a capital campaign to help us raise the funds for that. Um, but we also appreciate when people share our stuff on social media, when they just take the time to tell their friends, hey, I found this book. It's called The Story of Foster Care. And um, yeah, so there, there's a lot of ways you can do that. And if you want to volunteer to help us with the capital campaign and helping us raise the money, you can do that through our website. So, so how can churches help those who are vulnerable? We talk about there's a need to have good foster care parents. Is that the best way to help us to get involved as 
foster care with, especially with teens as a church? I love that question <laughs> because I the church is so uniquely called to care for the most vulnerable. And so when we start asking these questions, we change everything. Um, and I want to always just tell people to start with prayer. Pray about what you are specifically called to do. Get into the word and see what scripture tells us to do. Because when we're looking at the word of God, there's this really consistent narrative about the most vulnerable and it's orphans and widows and the displaced. And um, so if we know we're supposed to do that, the question is, what am I supposed to be doing? And so we pray and we're seeking God. We're going to find all these places where we can actually get involved. Um, I don't think everyone's supposed to be foster parents. I love the heart that people have because they're like immediately like, yes, this. Um, there's a lot of there's a lot of work that has to go into that. There's a lot of work that has to go into these things that you might not actually be called to do. <laughs> and so I think you need to start with um, with God and ask him, what am I supposed to do? And it might be um, volunteering with another organization. It might be supporting those organizations financially. It could be becoming a foster parent, but it might also just be helping your friend who's struggling to make ends meet. It could really be something as uh, simple as being the person who prevents someone from entering the foster care system. And I think we we overlook that sometimes, but the church being the church prevents a lot of these vulnerabilities. Us coming alongside as neighbors and community to say, hey, I care about you right now before your child is a part of these statistics. So I like the front end of that, where the church can come alongside, especially struggling parents, and maybe they're providing a safe space for the child to be while the parent's at work. Yeah. Uh, yeah, babysitting. Yeah, babysitting. It's so simple, but it's needed. And I we know so many of the like young adults that we've met, they're they're now young single moms and they're doing their very best and they're they love their kids, but they need people that they can count on to babysit. And it seems simple, but it's like there's only one income coming in right now. And they need someone that they can trust to watch their kids. So yeah, I there's a there's a really wide range of things that people can do. So starting with what with the prayer, God, what are you wanting me to do? I think changes everything. So what got you working with this particular area of life? Cause that's a unique place to be foster care. What, what passion drove you to work on in this particular area of ministry? I honestly, that's a, <laughs> that's a good question. And I always um, don't know how to answer it. Cause I'm not the normal like route. It's like, I didn't have foster siblings. I wasn't in foster care, but when I was 14 or 15, I read a book called Choosing to See by Mary Beth Chapman. It was her life story, but it included the story of her adopting three little girls from China and then um, the grief and processing she went through when she lost one of them. And I just, I can't really adequately explain it, but God just told me that I was going to be involved in adoption and foster care or orphan care. And I was like, I don't know what that means at 14 or 15. <laughs> um not married, not not ready to have kids, all that kind of stuff. But I, I knew that was what I was supposed to do. And um, life kept going. And um, when I hit, when I hit 20, I was at this um, program called 21 Project. And it was just surrounded by a group of Christian entrepreneurs. And we were praying through all these things that God had laid on our heart. And I still had this, this knowledge that I was supposed to be involved in orphan and foster care. And I was like, well, I could um, orphans photography and I could do adoption photography. And they were like, well, that's 
Interesting. Why don't you dig deeper? Because <laughs> that's not a real idea. And it, it grew into this, this much bigger dream of caring for those as they age out of state care. And um, I was really blessed that my community supported me and made it possible for this to become a, a real thing. That's a neat story. So let me ask you this question, thinking about that. What do you want your legacy to be? I really, I got asked this the other day. I really just want my legacy to be pointing more people to him. I, I know that sounds really basic. I don't know how else to say it, though. People, it seemed like it was not the adequate answer. I'm like, I don't know how else to say this. I, I don't want people to remember me as much as I want them to remember Christ when I talk to them. I think that that, like, I'm not getting them <laughs> into heaven. That's right. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not providing them salvation. And so I, I want my legacy to be pointing people to him. That's a great legacy. I, I would not be embarrassed by that at all because I, I, I had the same legacy. The more, as the more people who come to my funeral who say I showed them Jesus would be a, a wonderful testament to my life. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. Don't come to see me because I'm already gone. <laughs> I'm already gone. <laughs> That's right. I'm already in heaven singing at the choir. So where can people find out more about your ministry and also how they can be involved in foster care in their own area? Yeah, so our website is fillingemptyframes.org. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram by looking up Empty Frames Initiative. And you can find our book on Amazon or Barnes & Noble by looking up the story of foster care. If you are interested in getting involved in foster care in your state, I would look up Become a Foster Parent and then put your state <laughs> because um, you'll find both state foster care resources and agencies that can help maybe make the process a little bit easier or provide you a little bit more support. Anything I haven't asked you that you want to share? No, this has been really great. <laughs> I'm happy with what we did. <laughs> well, thank you. I appreciate it. Well, keep doing what you're doing and keep pointing people to that wonderful Savior that we have because what you're doing is really a wonderful, wonderful mission. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks All for right. having me today. Thanks, Miriam. Have a great day. You too. Thanks for listening to Becoming Bridge Builder. If you enjoyed this episode and want to help support the podcast, please subscribe and share it with others. Post about it on social media or leave a rating and review. To catch all the latest from me, you can follow me on Instagram at bkeithhaney and on Getter and Twitter at RevHeadpin or on his website at alightbreaksthrough.org. Thanks again and tune in next time.